So the Bible reading uh, today um, comes from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Duncan, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you all on this uh, first day of uh, 2023. It's a, uh, it's a new year full of new possibilities for each of us individually, but also for all of us here together as God's people at Riverbank. We have no idea what this year has in store. Uh, there could be joys, there could be sorrows, we don't know if our plans are going to come to pass. We don't know if life is going to turn out the way that we expect. In fact, not even one of us really know if we'll still be here by the end of this year. But this we do know without any doubt whatsoever. Our times are in the Lord's hands. And that, my friends, is the most wonderful and reassuring news of all. For our Lord is almighty, and our Lord is all-wise, and our Lord is full of love and compassion and grace. And so whatever 2023 might bring, we know that if we seek our refuge and our strength in Jesus Christ alone, then we are utterly safe and we are richly blessed. And so I truly hope that that is how you are facing the year that lies ahead with confidence, not confidence in yourself or your own wealth or abilities, but confident in God, in the God who gave you life and the God who gave you his son to wash away your guilt, to make you righteous in his sight and to give you sure hope of a glorious future in heaven above. I truly hope that you have that kind of confidence today. But if you don't, well then maybe 2023 is the year when all of that will change. When the Lord will work in your heart. When he will turn you around and you finally find peace for your soul. 
If you feel the Holy Spirit working in you even today, then I want to urge you to to pray, to ask God to open your eyes to his amazing grace and also to talk to a Christian friend or talk to one of the leaders here at church. Ask them to help you to see why you need Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. Maybe today is the day when everything will change. But now we need to turn our attention to our reading from Matthew chapter 4, the three temptations of Jesus. And as you may have gathered, we're looking at these verses over three weeks. And perhaps you're wondering why. Why would we spend three whole sermons on this one short passage? Well, I've got four reasons for you. The first one is a pragmatic one. I knew that I was going to be preaching today and next Sunday and the Sunday after. And so I wanted something in three parts. And this passage fits the bill. Secondly, though, this passage also flows naturally from the events of Christmas, which we've been thinking about in recent times. Both Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels with Jesus' birth. But then in the transition to his public ministry, they record this period of testing, something also mentioned very briefly by Mark. A third reason to focus on these verses is because they're extremely important. And I do wonder if we actually give them the attention that they deserve. And fourth, we need to look at them because they have often been misinterpreted and misunderstood. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon today, I was actually shocked at how many authors write about this passage and they see it as nothing more than an example for us to follow. They consider how Jesus resisted temptation in his life and conclude that that simply teaches us how we can resist temptation in our own lives. And while they wouldn't say this in so many words, what they're implying is that by doing so, we can be good people and we can stop sinning and we can basically save ourselves. So what do you think? Is this passage just an example for us to follow? Well, of course not. It has far deeper significance than that. It is, in fact, a passage that is fundamental to the entire gospel. And so we really need to understand these words properly if we're ever going to understand the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to focus just on Matthew 4, verses 1 to 4, the introduction and the first of the three temptations. And there are two things here in these verses that immediately strike our attention and point us back into the Old Testament. So first of all, there's the appearance of the devil tempting Jesus to eat. He was hungry. And verse 3 says, The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. When we read this, we cannot help but think back to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He created humanity to be like him, 
to rule over all that he had made and to do so with a moral capacity. But in Genesis 3, we're told, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Until now, Adam and Eve had done no wrong. There was no sin. They lived in perfect harmony with God and everything was good in the world. But then there is the first temptation. For the very first time, they had to decide. Decide whether or not they would do what God desires. Would they trust God when he said that he would provide for all their needs? Would they obey God when he said to eat from every tree except for that one? For that would bring death. Would they believe God's truth? Or would they fall for the devil's lies? They were faced with a huge moral test, the very first temptation. And my friends, what did they do? Did they resist a thousand times, a hundred times, ten times? Did they resist even once? It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam and Eve doubted their creator. They disobeyed him and they destroyed their relationship with him and as a result of that received the punishment that they were warned of. Spiritual death while here on earth, physical death at the end, and eternal death forever. They plunged not just themselves, but the entire human race into sin, cutting us off from our God. And all because when faced with temptation, they failed. But would others, those who came later, do any better? Well, that leads us to the second thing that this passage points us to in the Old Testament. For Matthew also says in these verses that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and that he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. What does that remind you of? Well, listen to these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8 as the Lord speaks to the people of Israel. The Lord says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was now many years after Adam and Eve, when some of their descendants through Abraham had grown to become this great nation of Israel. 
They were God's special covenant people, chosen by him to receive and to carry his promises. His promise to restore everything that human sin had ruined. But how did they go with this temptation? I mean, they were in such a a unique relationship with God. They had experienced his, his grace and his deliverance so many times. They knew so much more about God's will as he had revealed it in his commandments. They knew so much more about how keeping those commands would bring blessing, while breaking them would bring curse. So how did they go? Well... In those 40 years in the wilderness, these people were tested and they were tempted to reveal what was in their heart. So did they trust the Lord? Did they obey him? Did they seek to do his will? Or did they listen to the devil? I think we all know the answer. Without going into detail, we know that during those 40 years, they did nothing but complain and grumble against the Lord. They repeatedly doubted his love and his protection and his provision. They continually rebelled against his law. And so just like Adam and Eve, when faced with temptation, they too failed. And they failed over and over and over again. And my friends, hasn't that been exactly the same pattern right down throughout history? There has never been a generation that didn't fall into sin. There has never been even a person who didn't fall into sin. (coughs) And that that still applies today. And it still applies to you and me. Because we're just like those kids in the video, aren't we? Tempted by something so delicious. I mean, don't you ever look around you in this world and, and wonder why it is that people just can't stop doing all these terrible things that make life so miserable? We're supposed to be so developed and so advanced and so educated in this age, but yet there's so much suffering around us. Why does Russia have to be at war with Ukraine? Why do African dictators leave their own people in poverty? Why are terrorists so determined to wreak havoc and destruction? Why are there so many mass shootings and child abuse cases and cyber attacks? Why do so many people ruin their own lives with alcohol and drugs and other addictions? Why is our society just so determined to kill the unborn and the elderly, and so determined to find new forms of sexual perversion? Why do even natural disasters lead to finger-pointing and looting? My friends, why is there so much domestic violence, so much suicide, so much racism, so much greed, so much corruption, so much pornography, So much anger and outrage, so much deceit. Well, the answer is very simple. It's because ever since Adam and Eve sunk their teeth into that forbidden fruit, we have all followed in their footsteps. We know God's will, we know what is right, but yet when faced with temptation, we quickly fall. 
and no matter how much we might convince ourselves that somehow we are above all of that, we know in our own hearts that we too are far from perfect and that we sin against God and our neighbour every day. We too fail to love the Lord, trust to trust in his provision, to follow his commands. And instead, we are sucked in by the devil's lies, putting our own desires first. But my friends, surely that compels us then to turn our minds back to Matthew chapter 4. And I hope that that what we've just thought about there helps us to gain a, a greater appreciation for what's really going on in this text. For here in these verses, we find Jesus the very Son of God who has come into our world. His birth in Bethlehem reminds us that he was fully human, sharing our experience in every way. He ate and he drank. He worked and he rested. He laughed and he cried. And he experienced desire and temptation just like we do. But as his public ministry is about to begin, this all comes to a head. In chapter 3, John the Baptist pronounced the coming of Jesus. That was his task. And he also baptised Jesus in the Jordan River. And at that very point, it says, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At this moment in history, God Almighty announced to the world that this was his promised Messiah. This was his own beloved Son, sent to be our Saviour and our Lord. But could he really do it? Was he up to the task? Could he succeed where all others had failed? Well, in Matthew 4 verse 1, we're told that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This was going to be a showdown. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Mark says the Spirit sent him. Luke says he was filled with the Spirit. This reminds us, my friends, that while God will never let you be tempted beyond what you bear, what you can bear, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that does not mean that he will shield you from every enticement of sin. But it also reminds us that this this was a vital part of God's plan. For if Jesus did not face this situation, then he would not be able to prove himself suitable for the important task that lay ahead. But there's also the fact that it was the devil who did the tempting. James chapter 1 says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. One of the implications of Jesus' human nature was that he actually could be tempted, just like us. But the source of that temptation was the devil. In verse 3, Matthew calls him the tempter. That's his job. In verse 10, he calls him Satan. 
And just imagine how motivated he must have been to bring Jesus down. So then in verse 2, we're told that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Luke says he ate absolutely nothing in that time. He was in the wilderness, which was the, the barren hill country to the west of the Jordan. And so there was little food available, but that's exactly why the Spirit sent him there. For his very purpose in going there was to focus his attention and his energy and his whole being on his heavenly Father and on the task that he had called him to do. It was to be a time of prayer and preparation, a time of fasting, not of feasting. But as a result, Matthew tells us quite simply that Jesus was hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel uncomfortable after just a few hours without food. And so just imagine, if you can, the craving, the, the desire, the, the pain this man must have felt after almost six weeks without food. He must have suffered severe malnutrition. And so he was in an incredibly vulnerable state. But it's exactly when we're at our weakest that the devil attacks. An attack he did. Verse 3 says that he came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He said, If you're really who you say you are, then use your power to create some food and to satisfy your hunger. Now this raises an interesting question. What exactly is the sin that Jesus was tempted to commit? Was it a sin for him to eat? No, of course not. Was it a sin for him to use his divine power in order to produce food? Well, again, no. He later performed miracles that fed thousands with loaves and fishes. So what actually was the potential sin here? Well, the simple fact is that God sent him into the wilderness to fast and pray. And Jesus knew that he'd look after him. But after 40 days and nights, he was severely tempted to doubt his father's provision. He was severely tempted to take matters into his own hands. He was severely tempted to use his divine power to shortcut his agony and satisfy his own desires. And the devil put it right in front of him. You're the son of God, aren't you? You can do whatever you want. So why are you suffering? Just take one of these miserable stones and turn it into a delicious, fresh-baked loaf of bread. You could do it in an instant. It would be no trouble for you at all. And so just like Adam and Eve, just like the nation of Israel, just like you and me, Jesus faced temptation. And please... Please don't think it wasn't real or that it was somehow less than what we face. He was in an incredible state of weakness and the devil was in his face, utterly determined to make him fail. And don't forget, my friends, there's also another difference between Jesus' temptation and ours. 
For when we're enticed by sin, there's a point along the way when we give in, isn't there? And so we actually never feel the full force, but Jesus experienced temptation to its utmost extent. And the amazing thing is that unlike anyone else, he stood firm. He said no. He never, ever gave in. And so despite his full humanity and his weakened state and the determination of his adversary, verse 4 tells us, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quotes from that very same passage that I read a moment ago from Deuteronomy. And so while Israel failed over and over, Jesus did not. For he reminded the devil that while physical food is important, it's nowhere near as important as obedience to God's will. And so he'd rather die of starvation than die of sin. And so we see that despite the fact that nobody, nobody had ever done it before or since, including us, that Jesus obeyed perfectly. He trusted his Father wholeheartedly, even when it was so difficult. He kept his father's will even in the midst of his pain and suffering. He believed his father's truth even in the face of the devil's lies. And thus he proved himself to be the better Adam, the perfect Adam, the representative of humanity who never failed. He proved himself to be the better Israel, the true Israel who remained faithful through thick and thin. But why why is that so incredibly important? Well, there are two main reasons. First of all, it's important because, my friends, we need a perfect sacrifice of atonement. God made it clear from the very beginning that no sinner can ever pay for another. And so Jesus needed to be totally righteous in order to bear our punishment on the cross. If he had failed even once, then he would have needed to die for his own sin. But he was the one who never failed. And so he is the one who was qualified to pay our price and to save us from the fate that we deserve. And so, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. But there's also a second reason why this is so important. And we see it in Romans chapter 5 where Paul writes these words. He says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. You see, my friends, it's not enough for Jesus to wash away our sin 
through his sacrifice on the cross, he also needs to make us totally right with God. We need to be credited with his obedience so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinful and he doesn't even see us as neutral, but rather he sees us as perfect and holy and pure. That's why it is imperative that Jesus resisted the devil's temptation. For if he hadn't, then we could not be clothed in his perfect righteousness. And so, my friends, I hope you're beginning to see why this is such an incredibly vital part of God's word. For what we have here is not simply an example for us to follow. But my friends, what we have here is the very solution for the fact that we could never follow that example. For every one of us is infected with sin. We're no better than Adam and Eve. We're no better than the nation of Israel. We all face temptation and every single day we fail. And as a result of that, we are cut off from our God who made us. We are cut off from the life that we were made to live on this earth. And we are cut off from the glory of heaven. And instead, we deserve God's judgment and his eternal punishment. But my friends, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that Jesus came to do what we could not do. He faced the most severe temptations you could ever imagine, but yet stood firm until the end. He ignored the devil's enticements and he trusted the Father without ever faltering. And he did it all for us. So as we look forward to 2023, let us make sure that our hope and our confidence are in Jesus Christ alone. And let us give thanks for what he has done, for he is the only one who could win this battle, putting God's will above his own, resisting every temptation. So if we put our faith in him, then we truly can experience his wonderful and his eternal salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognise that temptation is all around us. We recognise that just as the devil tempted those in the Old Testament, tempted Jesus in the wilderness, that he also tempts us. And that while there may be times when we can resist a little, that there are, is never a time that we do not fail. And so, Father, we, we want to come before you and acknowledge that. We want to confess that. But we also want to thank you. We want to thank you that Jesus came to do what we could not do. Father, we thank you that he came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And Lord, not because it was a life without temptation, for he faced it more than any of us. Lord, we don't doubt for a moment that the devil did all that he could to bring Jesus down, but yet he stood firm. And Lord, we thank you that he did that for us. 
Lord, thank you that not only has he suffered in order to pay the penalty of our sin, but that he obeyed in order to make us righteous in your sight. And Lord, we often struggle to truly understand what that means. But Father, we pray, please help us to understand it more and more. Help us to understand that when you look at us, you do not see us the way we are, but that you see us clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And Father, what a glorious thing that is, that we can know that when we meet you face to face, that we will not be destroyed, but that we will be welcomed into an eternal home that you have prepared for us. Lord, thank you for Jesus and the way he resisted the temptations in this passage. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.